Same-sex attraction in Christianity. What if a person surrenders to Christ, but then the same-sex attraction, those desires, don't go away? What do they do? Is their faith a fraud? Uh, are they still saved? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's get into it. Welcome to Faith in Real Life, where we talk about biblical truths that are relevant to your life and faith. My name is Obi. I'm the pastor to single adults and men at First Baptist O'Fallon. And uh, usually joining me is Bryce McGuire, but uh, he is out today. He's going to miss uh, for maybe two weeks or so. Uh, so we'll miss having him, but uh, he'll be back. Well, we've been talking lately about um, same-sex attraction and Christianity. And we started this conversation off by talking about really this insurmountable divide between same-sex attraction and Christianity. And so really we wanted to start off by talking about the goal that Christians should have toward people who have same-sex attraction, and that is um, to witness to them, to um, show them about the love of Christ, tell them about the love of Christ. And uh, a lot of a lot of the concepts for this discussion have come, of course, from Scripture, but then also a book I read, uh, Gay Girl, Good God, and I uh, recommend that to people who are um, interested in this topic or who want uh, to just have a well-thought-out opinion on this topic. It's just a powerful testimony. Um, so we started off talking about how the church has not always been great at talking to people uh, and showing them a good God. So then we moved the next week where we talked about how we oftentimes treat same-sex attraction as if it's in its own special category of sin. Um, and of course, that's not true that um, the Bible, when you read lists of sins, yeah, you'll find homosexuality there, but you'll also find all sorts of things that other people have, um, and we don't treat those sins as irredeemable. It's the same solution for any sin, and that is Christ. One sin separates us all from a holy God, and so we need Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God. Um, so that's what we've covered so far, but now this week we're going to discuss, um, as I said at the intro, we're talking really about, well, what about people who have same-sex attraction and those desires don't go away? They surrender to Christ, but those desires are still there afterward, maybe even a great struggle. So this is, again, something that um, Jackie Hill Perry and Gay, Good, Gay Girl Good God um, that she talked about. Um, but Scripture has a very clear um, study of this. And, and really, I think this is helpful for anyone because, again, as we said last week, Homosexuality, same-sex attraction, those are not unique sins. Same-sex attraction is not a unique desire. Um, it's its own. I mean, it's it's its own um, type of desire, but it's not unique in that other people have desires. Other, All people have desires that um, are not in line with God and the way God would have us walk. So Scripture says a whole lot about this. So just to kind of set this up, um, Jackie Hill Perry said this, In a body without the Spirit of God, sin is an unshakable king whose dominion no man can flee. But when the Spirit of God takes back the body that he created for himself, he sets it free from the pathetic master that held it captive and set it free into the marvelous light of its Savior. It is then able to not only want God, but to obey God. So that's a powerful quote, and uh, she's, she's right on. Um, but maybe we don't feel that way all the time. 
right? I mean, there's some good words there. You were held captive by this pathetic master, but once you accept Christ, you're set free into this marvelous light to know the Savior and to not only want God, but to obey God. And so that is accurate, 100% accurate, true. I, I love that, but we don't always feel that way. And so that's really what we want to discuss today is um, a person gets saved, but they're still tempted by sin. So if a person is still tempted by those same-sex attractions, are they still saved? Or are they a fraud? Do they feel it? I, I promise you, um, oftentimes when we, we've surrendered to Christ and then we um, stumble back into an old sin or, or something that's plagued us, we feel like frauds. And so that's where I want to start is really this question is a question of eternal security. And I've talked to many people over my years as a pastor and a, a teacher about eternal security, um, and, and I believe the Bible is very clear on this. And this is, again, where I'd like to point out to people that same-sex attraction is not its own thing. It's not a unique sin in that it, it's the only desire that's irredeemable. No, no, no. All sins are redeemable. There's only one unforgivable sin, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, uh, which I believe is, in essence, rejecting Christ. So if you have same-sex attraction or whatever sin, anyone listening, watching, whatever sin you have that's occasionally made you feel like you're not saved, that maybe I'm just pretending this whole Christian thing, I'm a fraud. Uh, I've used this example before. I had um, a student one time that they had given their life to Christ, and um, they they had stayed after youth group and they were in tears and I walked them through the Roman road and they're just bawling their eyes out and they were, as far as one human can observe, they were sincere. And so they give their life to Christ, baptize, all that. Well, then a, a few months go by and um, we go to this concert and there's a speaker there as a youth group and and this the speaker really lays it on thick. He 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 really pushes the gospel in in a very good way in some ways, and then in a, a bad way in my opinion, just really almost makes people doubt their salvation. And so this person goes forward and gives their life to Christ again. Again, they're bawling their eyes out. They're um, as far as one human can observe, they're extremely upset. Um, but also sincere. And so then that just spawned the question in my mind, well, does the person just do this ad infinitum? They just forever. Forever a person just is going to try to surrender to Christ, just always. I'm never going to feel secure in my faith. I'm never going to feel like, okay, I'm a child of God and I'm safe, I'm secure. I just have to continually re-get saved and, and that's when um, I happened to be going through First John at the time. And First John has just completely changed my thinking. Or uh, I, I'd always been a, a believer in eternal security. But, but when I had studied First John, it's when I just became fully convinced, fully persuaded that there's a better way. There's a better way to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and the freeing power that's supposed to have for any sexual desire, any desire, and then, yes, too, same-sex attraction, because it's not a special category of sin. It is uh, homosexuality is a sinful act. Same-sex attraction is a sinful desire. And that's not in a special category. There's all sorts of sexual or uh, all sorts of sinful acts and sinful desires in this world. And one of those separates us from a holy God. 
But Christ can redeem all of those for those who confess their sins and make them Lord, make him Lord of their life. So what I wanted to look at is a few verses in 1 John and then one in Romans. So if you have your Bible, if you're at home, you can turn to this. But if you're listening, I'm going to read it to you. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 has been kind of uh, dubbed the thesis verse of 1 John. And it says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So he states there in his thesis that the purpose of this, of this whole um, book, this whole letter, uh, whatever, whichever one you want to call First uh, John, um, the whole purpose of this is so that you can know you have salvation, so that you who believe can know they have eternal life. He's saying, I want to help you have this eternal life assurance, this, this assurance of salvation. Well, if you were to back up one verse, he, he prefaces this verse, 5.13, with 5.12, and he says, the one that has the Son has life. The one that has not the Son has not life. If you're just to boil the gospel down in a nutshell, that's the gospel. If it, that's, that's the the greatest truth that we need to know, people wonder, well, can I be good enough to get to heaven? No, you can't. None of us are good enough. The uh, Bible says no one is good, no, not one. Uh, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. If you're to bo- boil the message that we need to preach down to a nutshell, is you have to have Jesus. First John 5.12, the one that has the Son has life. The one that has not the Son has not life. So what I talk to people about when we talk about eternal security is just this notion of um, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to rest in him. First John 1 John 1.9, another verse in there, it says, If we our, confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, when I actually surrender, like my student who I was referring to earlier, when I... When I surrender to Christ, then, and I place my faith in him, then I need to trust him. If his promise in 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, I either believe that or I don't. Do I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? If I do, then that means I trust him. That's what saving faith is. It doesn't just mean you believe God exists. Uh, Of course, we have to believe he exists, but True faith is believing the promises of God, trusting the promises of God. And the promise of the New Testament is this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we are sinners separated from a holy God, and Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again. And I place my trust in him. That's what Romans 10, 9, a few podcasts ago, a few episodes ago, I went through the uh, Roman road, and that's Romans 10, 9, that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. So once I've done that, the object is to rest in him. That, that's the goal, is to rest in him. Because there's going to be all sorts of times that I don't feel worthy. Because ultimately I'm not, right? Neither are you. Someone who has same-sex attraction is not worthy. Someone who has regular sex attraction, that you know, heterosexual attraction, is not worthy of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the point of the gospel. That's why we need the gospel. So there's going to, of course, be times where I don't feel worthy because I'm not. But faith is trusting him anyways. Faith is saying, God, even though I don't feel 
holy. I don't feel pure. You say through your son, I am. Because I have surrendered my life to you. I'm not perfect, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. I'm not perfect. I, I, I don't, I'm your servant, but I don't always live like a perfect servant. But I've placed my faith and my trust in you. And so I either believe that Jesus Christ is sufficient or I don't. And so often what happens is people, as they try to get saved again and again and again, is they're not placing full faith in Jesus. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're trying to place faith in their ability to have faith. Right? Have you ever been there where you're like, well, I think I believed. I, I mean, maybe 99%, but I wasn't, I don't know, was I 100%? Well, respectfully, I'd say we get a little neurotic when we do that. We're trying to overanalyze our own ability to believe when it comes down to this. We either believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose again, or we don't. That's what 1 John 5.12 says. The one that has the Son has life. The one that has not the Son has not life. So do you have Jesus? Now we're going to talk about our walk in a second, but that's the, that's the starting point. That's the foundation. Do you have Jesus. And here's why I asked that. Uh, so the next verse I want to look at, 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Now I'll just pause there. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. When we think of um, doubting our salvation, worried about eternal security, that's what we're talking about is fear. Perfect love, that's what this says. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love. What's an example of perfect love, I wonder? Well, I know the Bible says that greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. The perfect example of love is Jesus. So if this says there's no fear in love, instead perfect love drives out fear, hear that. that that's the Bible saying that the, the death, burial, and resurrection, the act of love that Jesus did on your behalf, on my behalf, is supposed to drive out fear. And now why this, this goes on, 1 John 4, 18, it says, because fear involves punishment. Wasn't that what we're afraid of? If we're doubting our salvation, we're, we're worried. I'm not going to go to heaven, but I might go to hell because I don't feel worthy. Well, we're not, but we're loved. We're loved by a God who would send his only son into this world to live a perfect life and die for us. So it says, so the one who fears is not complete in love. And so then I want to read one passage in Romans, one verse in Romans. It's Romans 8.15. It says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. There's that word again, fear. We didn't receive that spirit of bondage that's accompanied with sin and death. When we accept Jesus Christ, that's not the spirit we receive. We receive the Holy Spirit, not a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. It says this, Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Get this picture. There's a reason. There's probably lots of reasons, but there's at least one really good reason in Scripture why the Bible calls God our Father. It's a picture. So I have this uh, story that I always tell of my youngest child. Uh, one time I was downstairs, and me and my wife were, and uh, it just got really quiet upstairs. I don't remember where our other two kids were, um, but but my youngest is upstairs, and usually that's pretty loud. And if it all of a sudden goes quiet, then you know something is wrong. So we go upstairs and just peek over our, our railing, and he sees me. And he immediately goes, sorry, and he takes off running. So I know something's 
bad, right? I know something happened. And so I go in and I look, and he had taken a bottle of Elmer's glue, and he had just squirted it all over our carpet, over tables. He had put it on windowsills, on the wall, on his toys, all over the place. Elmer's glue, just everywhere. And so that's why he said, sorry. Now, he recognized that I was his father at that time, right? We needed to restore fellowship. <laughs> he was going to have to be disciplined. But he never stopped being my child. Right? He wasn't the perfect kid in that moment. He was doing something that I definitely didn't want him to do, but he was still my child. Hear Romans 8.15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's what God wants us to hear. That once we have Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says the down payment or the earnest of the Holy Spirit in us that seals us until the day of redemption. This whole topic of same-sex attraction in Christianity, one of the reasons we make it an insurmountable mountain is because we've made this desire, a, a same-sex attraction desire, we made it like it's different than all these other sins, and how could that possibly, you'd almost have to completely transform a person's outside and, and their desires and all this to make them a Christian, and really that's not the case. Everybody, every single person listening, watching, and you know what, for that matter, every single person not listening and watching has sinful desires. We do. But if we have Jesus, if we have Jesus, 1 John 5.12 says, I have life. I want you to hear that distinction. A sinful desire, which we all have, does not mean I don't have Jesus. Now, the next question is going to be, so what do we do about those, right? We're going to talk about that in a second. But at the premise, at the basis, at the foundation of this topic, we have to understand that, that when we're talking about salvation, yeah, sometimes we do feel like frauds. Every person does, not just someone who has same-sex attraction. Every person feels like a fraud sometimes. Every Christian, anyone who's ever named the name of Jesus, I think has had those moments of doubt where they say, man, am I really saved? I don't know. I think I believed. I believe I believed. There was this time, and get this straight, Go through that episode of the Romans Road again. Learn how to accept Jesus Christ. But once you do it, have faith in it. Rest in it. Trust in it. When he tells me in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that is a promise in Scripture. I've confessed them to you, God. I believe you'll cleanse me. I believe You'll forgive me. And then once I've received his spirit, I'm adopted. And so it's no longer a question of my position in him. I'm his son. He's my father. That, 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 relationship, that relationship position is not in question. Sometimes the fellowship needs to be made right because I'm the, I'm the disobedient servant, the disobedient child that squirts Elmer's glue everywhere. So sometimes I mess things up, but the relationship is always intact once I have Jesus. So that brings up the next question. A person gets saved, but they're still tempted by same-sex attraction. Why? Why are we still tempted? I mean, if, if a person comes to Jesus Christ and, man, I've heard this, uh, I know the Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. Well, how come I don't feel free? Why do I still feel like I'm in bondage? Why do I feel like I'm in shackles? Why do I still have these temptations. 
And so I'm not going to, I may read this whole passage, we'll see. <laughs> uh, but Romans 7, uh, verses 15 through 24, kind of describes this dilemma. And I'm also going to go back to 1 John again. 1 John just an amazing book talking about eternal security. But I'm, I, I gave my life to Christ, how come I'm still tempted? So Paul says in Romans 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer doing the one so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. I want you to hear that distinction, our flesh. That's our condition. It's not talking about our position in Christ. It's my condition here in this flesh. For the desire that uh, for the desire to do what is good is within me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So what that passage is talking about, and there's obviously a lot there, and uh, listening to it, uh, you potentially found it just as confusing as I felt uh, reading it. But it's really, at its simplest explanation, is describing this law or this uh, this war between the spiritual and the flesh. So if we accept Jesus Christ, I, we just read a second ago in Romans that we receive the Spirit, right? So we have the Spirit living within us. We have the capability to live for God. And one day we'll be given resurrected bodies. But today we don't have that. And so we have this war, this struggle between the Spirit and the flesh. And so when we say, well, hey, I surrendered to Christ. Well, how come I still have this same-sex attraction? Or this is also a point where I'd like to point out whatever other desire, right? Same, people with same-sex attraction are not unique in this category either, that when they come to Christ, um, those other things, those other desires don't necessarily just go away. Hey, praise God if yours did. Praise God if, if you came to Christ in day one, you, you were just complete on the path to sanctification. I think that's uh, very few people, though. Um, I know as I talk to different men and things, uh, there's a great struggle with pornography out there. I've talked to men who they thought that getting married you know, Christianity didn't do it, but maybe getting married, I'll have a wife, then won't have the temptation of pornography. And it didn't. I've talked to men that um, it, they got married and pornography ruined their relationship. And that, I mean, we're just talking about sexual sins right now. There's a world of sins out there and sinful desires. And so even the Apostle Paul describes this in, in Romans. He describes in Romans 7 this war that is waged between the spirit and the flesh. And so going back um, to 1 John, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, you kind of hear why. It says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are. So remember that. We are God's children. I, I talked about that just a second ago. We're adopted into God's family. 
Uh, when I sin, I don't stop being his child anymore than when my kid squirts glue on the carpet. He's still my child. I may be mad at him. He may have some discipline coming, but he's my child. We don't stop being God's children. We're adopted into his family. Um, so it says, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now. So hear that. That's our present con- uh, position. We are God's children now. That's, that's how God sees us. That currently is active. When, you, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that's what happens. And then he goes on, he says, And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So just think about that. We are his children, but what we will be hasn't been revealed. That, that paints the picture of the dichotomy that is us. The dichotomy that I am God's child. I am born of the Spirit. I am spiritual. I have this ability to walk in the Spirit. But then I have this other side that is still in the flesh. I don't yet appear like him because it says uh, what we will be has not been revealed. We will know that when uh, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. So this we have this side where positionally, on the one hand, positionally we're in Christ, we're of the Spirit. Um, we have the capability to live Christ-like, to follow after him, to be pure. On the other side. This body's still my body. I haven't been given the glorified body yet. I'm still in this flesh. And the flesh still has desires. But then it goes on, verse 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I'm going to cover that again in a second. But the reality is this. We are still in the sinful flesh. When we ask the question, okay, I surrendered to Christ, why am I still tempted? Maybe you have a same-sex attraction, uh, that desire, or maybe it's gluttony, or maybe it's greed, or maybe it's lust, or whatever your desire is, why? I want to surrender to Christ. I would say this, wouldn't it be great if once you got married, you weren't attracted to anyone else? Just your spouse. That's not how it works. That's not the world we're in. We're in a world of sin. Um... It's a fallen world that God is going to redeem. He's going to restore. He's going to make new. But right now we're still here. So we are God's children, but it doesn't yet appear what we will be. There's this dichotomy. There's the spirit. There's the flesh. There's the position in Christ. There's the condition in flesh, in sinful flesh. And so those two are opposed. So it's a reality. Why do I still have sinful desires? Because I'm still in the flesh. Yeah, I'm in Christ, but I'm also still in the flesh. So then that leads to the last question I have for today is, okay, a person gets saved, but they're still tempted by same-sex attraction, or as I've tried to make this conversation go beyond that, which I think is the right way to go, to take same-sex attraction out of the category like it's a It's a special thing that is irredeemable, unlike other sins. No, a person either has Jesus or they don't. That's what 1 John 5.12 said. So I'm in this this flesh. I have this temptation. I have these desires. But I want to live for Christ. So what can I do? Well, notice that 1 John, when I read it just a second ago, 1 John 3.3, everyone who has this hope. Well, what hope was that? 
This is the hope of future glorification, that I'm his child now, but I don't yet look like that. But one day when I see him, I'll be made like him. 1 John 3, 3 then follows that up by saying, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I want you to hear that. Everyone who has this hope, this hope of eternity, this hope of future glorification, all that says purifies himself just as he, being Christ, is pure. A lot of times we put the onus on someone else. We want to... We wanna, wake up, <laughs> hey, I got saved, and I, and I just woke up one day, and all my sins, those desires, they were just gone. I just got slapped in the face with Christian holiness. I got, I just woke up, and boom, just sinless, sinlessness is my new way of life. I never will have a desire, tem, uh, sinful desire, temptation again. It's just gone. I'm just uh, a mature Christian overnight. Didn't have to do any work. Didn't have to do anything. Uh, that's what we want. This says, everyone who has this hope, because you are God's child, but you don't yet appear like what you will be until you see him one day. When you see him, if you have Christ in you, you'll be um, glorified. Your body will be, uh, you'll be given that resurrection body. But it says, if you have this hope, you purify yourself just as Jesus is pure. That's a similar uh, message. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, what's interesting is Galatians 5.16, if you go on, there's two sections right after that. The first section describes a whole list of sin, just like we uh, read and talked about last week. Is There's a whole list of sins, a whole list of things in the flesh, and then followed by the fruit of the Spirit. And the plea is, stay away from the, the work of the flesh, the walk of the flesh, and walk in the Spirit. Don't fulfill the flesh, fulfill the Spirit. These match up. I wonder if you hear this. I wonder if you hear what I'm trying to say to you. Holiness is a choice. Holiness is a choice. It's not something that I'm going to accidentally do to say, well, I just I accepted Christ and I expected all the desires that are sinful to go away. I just thought all of a sudden I'd wake up and I'd be just a mature Christian. I'd just be a super Christian that all of a sudden everything was just perfect. I never had, I'd, I'm never grumpy anymore. Someone cuts me off in, in traffic and I'm just like, oh, hey, well, I guess you're in a hurry. Go ahead. I never have a desire to yell. I never had to have a lustful thought, greedy thought, angry thought. It's just life is perfect. It all just worked out for me. That's not the picture of Scripture. Why would Galatians 5.16 need to say this? In a declarative statement, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill, you certainly will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Paul tells us to. Over and over again, you see in Scripture, in fact, so much so that a lot of times people feel like Christianity becomes a do not do this. Right? That's what they hear. Now, for a non-Christian, the message they need to hear is you need Jesus. But for a Christian, once I already have Jesus, it's no longer about my salvation. I'm God's child. I'm secure in Him. My salvation, my eternity, they are secure because I have faith in Jesus. I trusted Him. He says that He has cleansed me. He says that He has made me righteous. I have been justified by Him, sanctified by Him. Th that's the picture of Scripture, the promise of Scripture. But then, how about my walk? Those are all talking about my position my position in him, in Christ as a child of the King. That's what those are talking about. But what about my walk, 
my condition. Because my walk, a lot of times, that's why I feel unworthy. Because I'm like, God, how could you love me? Don't you see how I am? He says, yeah, you're in the flesh. Quit walking in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Well, but God, I have all these desires. Yeah, this I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you certainly will not carry out the desire of the flesh. When we get down to it, and it's why I call it same-sex attraction, because when we focus on homosexuality, the act, it becomes this thing that, that is, it's the sin carried out. I'd rather you consider the desire as a, a thing of the flesh that you don't have to surrender to in the same way that you don't have to surrender to greed or hatred or, or gluttony or, or pride or whatever other sin you want to talk about. This says, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's our position in Christ versus our condition here. There's heavenly holiness versus earthly. We have a choice to walk holy. God sees me as holy through the blood of Jesus, but I don't always walk that way. And that's who the instructions are for. When the Bible seems like a do not, it's talking to Christians who already have this position of being children. And he says, children, act like heirs to the king. Act like a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's who those messages are to. In that book, uh, Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry says this, Endurance is inherent with the Christian experience. Uh, she's saying this when she herself is kind of dis- she's discussing the fact that she still had same-sex desires. She says endurance is inherent with the Christian experience. Dying to self, crucifying self is excruciating. A word derived from crucifixion and it's slow. But here's what I'd say to you. No matter what, no matter what your desire is, those desires are a temporary fulfillment, a temporary satisfaction. God is greater. That's why she calls her book, Gay Girl, Good God. God is greater. God will satisfy you in a way that nothing else can. This week we've been talking about, okay, well, I'm, I've given my life to Christ, but I still have these desires. And first you want to think, well, am I a fraud? If you've surrendered your life to Christ, then no. But it doesn't mean your desire will go away because there's the position in Christ, but your condition in flesh. So I want you to see that picture very clearly. If you are in Christ, then you have two, two desires within you. You have one, the spirit desire to live for God. And it is good and worth it and awesome and satisfying. But then you have the other, the flesh. And the flesh is continually going to be at enmity with God and God's things and going to continue to try to pull us away. But God is better. You know it yourself. When you give in to a sin, when you give in to some temptation, you feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You feel that pull, that tear away, that, that this was a cheap satisfaction, a momentary thing that didn't satisfy, didn't fill me up and left me discouraged, depressed, wanting more but not wanting it. It left me hating the master and not able to cling to the other master, which is God. It left me turning my face in shame and hoping that God doesn't see me or feeling like I'm unworthy of salvation, that 
he's graciously and lovingly given to me. Endurance is inherent with the Christian experience, dying to self, crucifying self is excruciating, a word derived from crucifixion, and it's slow. The unfortunate part is when you become a Christian, your sinful desires don't just leave most of the time. There, I'm certain there are some people out there who would say, oh yeah, mine did. Praise God. That is an awesome thing that happened. I wish it happened to everybody. I wish it happened to me. We still have sinful desires. You're still going to be tempted to give into things that are ungodly, that are of the flesh. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will certainly not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I'll add this, and God is worth it. God is better. God will satisfy in a way that sin just never will. Same-sex attraction in Christianity. I hope you've um, learned from this three-part series. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, go back and listen to them if you need to. Um, but just thinking of the picture that Christians, let's present a loving God who is better, who's satisfied. Let's remember that same-sex attraction is a desire like any other desire. And I'm not, I'm not telling you how to feel about it. I'm saying how to feel about it for salvation purposes. For salvation purposes, a person who has same-sex attraction is just like, just like you or I were right before we gave our life to Christ. If, if that is the sin and they have not surrendered to God, they need Jesus. And then afterward, a person who had same-sex attraction beforehand will likely struggle with same-sex attraction afterward. That doesn't mean all of a sudden that, that they're a fraud. That doesn't mean all of a sudden that they weren't really saved. What it means is they have a spirit and a flesh war going on. I hope that's a helpful message to you. I find... I find the discussion on eternal security extremely freeing because when those passages talk about fear, if I am a Christian who is constantly worried about my status in Christ, what earthly good am I for God? He wants us to know when he says perfect love casts out fear. When he says those types of things to us, he's saying, rest in me and be used by me. If you're constantly afraid of your salvation, then I invite you to go back to the podcast uh, of The Roman Road and learn about the gospel and surrender to the gospel. And once you've, if, if you've never done that before, surrender to the gospel. And once you've done it, trust it. And if you're listening or watching today and you have trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and you say, I couldn't mean it more than that, but I still have these doubts, then that's what faith is. It's saying, God, I have doubts because I'm messed up, because I'm in the flesh, but I trust you. I trust that your sacrifice is sufficient for me and for my sins. Well, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share this with someone who needs a little faith in their life. Um, and if you're in the O'Fallon area, we'd love for you to stop by. We have awesome worship services. We have small groups for all ages that we call life groups. Uh, you can find out all the information about things happening at our church and what we offer at fbcofallon.org. That's fbcofallon.org. All right, see you next time. Hey.